Yeah, the revelations now televised. Uh, a platform for you and I. And now look with full heart and clear eyes. Now, these are just my thoughts. Truth on how I feel with these topics I reveal. Please know my toll, I always keep it real. Can't face the world if you can't face facts. For your time, just open up your mind. That's it, just live, think big. Now take that. With God in me, this here was made by design. Yeah, the revelation will be televised. Revelations. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Revelations Podcast. It's your boy Rev. And man, I'm excited today. I get to interview Dr. Ian Buchanan. Dr. Buchanan is a, a great man. He's done a lot in education and being quite honest and vulnerable. Dr. Buchanan has done so many things in education that I want to do. If you're rocking with your boy Rev for a while, you know um, I'm in the education space. That is that is my purpose. That is what I'm here for. And Dr. Buchanan has set a set a path that I'm probably going to follow. So going to be pinging him. So I'm excited to learn more from him. I don't know him yet, but from just the email interactions I've had back and forth with him, looking up and discovering more things that he's done, seems like it's going to be a great conversation. Let's sit back and listen to how to develop leadership skills and push beyond our barriers. That's what it is. We have a lot of barriers. So I'm a, I have a barrier in the space of education. I was told when I was in sixth or seventh grade that I had a learning disability, that literally I was not able to learn. They, they put me in the special ed classes. Yes, they did put me in special ed classes. My mother fought that. She was not standing for that, um, but I was still in those classes. I had to stay in those classes for a year. Then I went back into the, the regular classes. So had to overcome that barrier. Had to overcome a barrier of not having anyone blaze the path for me as I went through college. I didn't know anybody in my personal space or my family that went on to college. So I'm always looking for people who are outside of my personal space um, to look up to, to admire. And there's nothing wrong with looking up to and admiring people. We have to because they are trailblazers and they blaze the path for us. So I'm excited about this interview with Dr. Buchanan. Sit back, relax, enjoy it. Please hit me up. Revelations Podcast at gmail.com, the Revelations Podcast on IG, uh, Instagram, and TikTok. Holla at me and let's get rocking. Let's get this interview with Dr. Buchanan. Welcome back to the Revelations Podcast. I am happy, honored, super excited to interview someone who is in a space that I'm trying to pursue. And this is Dr. Ian Buchanan. Dr. Buchanan, how are you today? Good morning. I'm feeling wonderful, man. I'm feeling blacktastic today. And you look blacktastic as well. I like the 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 combination there, the sweater with the jacket. Um, you look cold though, and I am in Medellin and it's never cold here. So I'll take that small win before we get before we get started. All right, man. Just rub it in. It's all good. It's like 40 <laughs> degrees outside. <laughs> no, 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 sir. No, sir. Um, and we will actually get into your background of where you are and where you're from. But why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, to the people? I'm quite sure they're really excited about listening to you, hearing from a doctor uh, who, who experiences and does a lot of great things in education. Yes. So again, my name is Ian Buchanan, born and raised in the Midwest, uh, a small city called East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, there are so many narratives around that community. So there is a book by Jonathan Kozal called Savage Inequalities. And he talks about all of the inequalities uh, in the country 
as it relates to education. And he says, East St. Louis will be just like it is for many years to come. A scar of sorts, an ugly metaphor of chemicals and filth wow. and effusions, a place for blacks to live and die within, a place for whites to pass when they're headed to St. Louis. And so that is the narrative that has been painted about East St. Louis for a long time. But myself and four of my buddies got full academic scholarships. I have an engineering degree. Um, and we call ourselves the city of champions. So I'm born and raised in East St. Louis. Uh, I've been an educator for a long time. Started off as a high school teacher, was a, a high school mathematics teacher, was a principal for about 11 years, was an assistant soup for about five years. And I've been a, a full-time entrepreneur for two years. There you go. That's yeah, awesome. That, that's really awesome. And I have some experience with East St. Louis. I myself from Alton. So you got two Midwest boys that have become kings on here uh, uh born and born and raised in the midwest i myself am from alton illinois a lot of the same things can be said about alton and if i'm being completely honest my mother moved us from alton to champagne to get us away from all the negativity that's around that southern illinois that that western part of southern illinois the the cool thing about east st louis that people may not know and i, I like to say this that east st louis is in illinois but west alton is in missouri I don't really know how that works, but it is it is what it is because St. Louis is in Missouri and Alton is in Illinois. But eh, whatever, it is what it is. So we are we are from the same region. You you stayed. Um, no, it had nothing to do with me. I was I was eight when we moved. Mom was like, nope, got to get out of here. Um, and I think she did that because she saw the the cycle, and that's where I want to start. She saw the cycle that a lot of young black men and my mom had four boys and one girl but she saw the young the cycle that a lot of black men get stuck in in a bad education system so i want to first throw to you i have my philosophies on education but i'm going to defer to the doctor here what do you think education the purpose of education as a philosophy as a whole is let's start there before we dig into the specifics but education as a whole yeah, well, the purpose for education, especially in black, brown, poor communities, middle class communities specifically, uh, the purpose is for us to get a job and to be worker bees. Mm. It's not for us to liberate ourselves. It's not for us to uh, to be uh, independent thinkers. It is not for us to do. It is education for socialization slash indoctrination slash mm. get a job and work for the system. Now, uh, education should be for liberation, but in its current state, it is not. It is strictly designed to help us uh, become better cogs in a wheel of capitalism. Uh, and wow. that's, what it's, that's what it's for. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I share that sentiment. Um, people say things like the system is broken or the education system is broken. I say, no, it isn't. it's working exactly as it was designed. Um, as you said, education should liberate our minds, but we are being indoctrinated, indoctrinated in a certain system. Um, I was reading a piece the other day, and please forgive me, I do not know the author, but it was about how democracy needs education because it just reproduces people that believes in the same ideas. Nobody that's really stepping outside and creating new ideas. And that's what school is doing. But we have to, I think you and I can agree that education as a whole was not designed with the betterment of blackness and black people in mind. So we, so it was designed sort of, like you said, to keep us 
as a cog in a wheel, show us that we have a little bit of success, but not necessarily. Um, I reminded of Carter, Carter G. Woodson. I'm quite sure you're familiar. And he talked about how, you know, the, the, the miseducation of the Negro and he was saying, Hey, you know, you get the black person, they go off to college and everything. And essentially I'm just going to break it down. They're too black for whiteness, but too white for blackness. So we get in this, we get stuck in this, in this thing where we don't like our community anymore because we're the educated, but then the people who educated us, these white people are whiteness essentially. They still reject us because of the color of our skin. But you, you said that you, from this, you know, place where it is said that, that, you know, black people just die and white people pass to get to St. Louis, but you got an academic scholarships. So what about your personal experience in education? Can you walk us through that and how you overcame all the stereotypes and traps of an education system that's designed to keep you out of it? Yeah. So, so I, you know, even though there's a narrative around East St. Louis, I would say for me that I was definitely privileged. And I say that for one, because on one side of my family, there are about maybe 22 of us that are over college age. And there's not one, let me say that again. There's not one person in my family that doesn't have a college degree. That is amazing. Hold on. We need so, to pause. Yeah, hold, hold, exactly. on, hold on a second. Yeah. Say it, so you say it, 22 people. So 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 there are around 20, 22, 25 people in my family that are over the age of, that are adults. Mm -hmm. There is not one person in my family that does not have a college degree. That is amazing, man. That is amazing. That is, that's the exact opposite of my family, but, yeah. but that's amazing. So, so talk about the importance of education, like, you're 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 in a space where that's what you see. Talk about, you know, I, I always say it's hard to be what you can never see. And you Absolutely. saw those type of things. So talk about that again in a system that's designed to to help you, well, basically keep you from succeeding. Yeah. I, I think one of the things about the East St. Louis community was that even though it was in the Midwest, it really was a southern kind of segregated community. And within that community, you had all kinds of uh walks of life. And so there was a strong educator community. I tell people all of the time, I had three black math teachers. Like how many people had that? I had three black math teachers, a number of principals. And so what did I become? I became a math teacher. My uncle was a principal at my high school. What did I become? I became a principal. So these people laid the blueprint for me and set the tone for what I was to be. And they had exceptionally high expectations for me. They knew that we had to be the counter narrative. My principal told us, my elementary principal, every day he had this mantra, not the best, the very best. And so imagine that if somebody tells you 150 days a year for six years that you're not the best, you're the very best. What are you going to think about yourself? You're going to have a high sense of self, a high sense of efficacy, and you're just going to believe that you can run through brick walls. And so when I was confronted with so many challenges as an undergraduate student, I relied on this capital that had been poured into me by my community. And so that's why I was able to actually sit where I am today. That is amazing. Um, a couple of things. I was jotting down some notes. Yep. Again, you could you could be it because you could see it. I, I really believe that's a thing. And and the system um, keeps us blind because a lot of times we don't see and what is not promoted is 
black people being doing well, right? We're like, like that's not publicized. So then you were blessed enough to have it directly in your family. Right. Absolutely. But but for those of us like myself who didn't have it directly in our fa- in, in our families, and I would actually be able to speak for most black people that we really don't have those examples. You know, it's sort of hard to become that. And you said something that was that was great. And I use this with my students and I use it for myself. I, the standard is high and I'm not going to change the standard because I believe you were talking about belief that you can reach the standard. The standard is here. We are not changing the standard. We, You could fight, scream, cuss, do whatever you have to do. The standard is the standard, and I will help you get to the standard. And I think that we oftentimes we have deficit thinking when it comes to black black people, especially black men. I mean, black women, too. I don't, I don't want to say not, but we're two black men on here talking. A lot of deficit thinking and what you read about East St. Louis, that's a deficit mindset. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Can you can you speak to the deficit mindset that a lot of people have and a lot of even black kids in school have about themselves because that's what they're being told? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we talk about the cycle of socialization, I think uh, it's Dr. Harrow, H-A-R-R-O, talks about this cycle of socialization. And basically what he says is we are conditioned to believe certain things, whether it is from society, whether it's from the uh, the uh, cultural institutions that nurture us, i.e. church, school, um, those uh, other organizations. But in essence, we are conditioned to believe that. And in some shape, form, or fashion, we have to see the counter-narrative. And that's what you kind of are referring to. So we have to see this counter-narrative or a different way. And once we see the different way, we can still have expectations. And just like we talk about in education, we have to scaffold. That is, we have to give people the tools, the supports in order to reach the standard. If we don't provide those scaffolds, then we may not necessarily be that way. But I do think that there's this narrative, there's this conditioning there's this deficit thinking. I also think that it's so important that we provide counter narratives so people can see what's possible. At the same time, we need to make sure that we equip people with the skills and the competencies, whether they're mm. hard skills or soft skills, to be mm. able to thrive in very uh, specific environments. And so the skills part is, is what stuck out to me. That's that's what I believe school should be doing. Mm. Um, I believe that um, we should be doing, a. I don't want to say less content, but I think it should be more of an emphasis on skills because when you give the person the skills, they're going to go to the content that is going to be best for their life. They're like, they get the most, people get to decide what they want to be, but just give them the skills to help them be it. That's, that's what I think. So I think education is lacking there. I do believe, as you said earlier, we're just a cog in the wheel. So talk about your academic scholarship, how you got that. And then going on to college, and just not stopping as, and there's nothing wrong with just being a math educator. Like, that's great. We need more. I never had a black mathematician. Hold on a second. You said you had three black math teachers. I had three black teachers. That's it. From, from kindergarten all the way through, I had three of them. Yeah, three. Mr. Jackson, Miss Catchings, and then I cannot remember the other lady's name to save my life, but I remember them. So, and, and speaking of you cannot, you know, like, you have to see it in order to be it. Mr. Jackson, my sixth grade homeroom teacher, is the reason I want to get into education. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Mr. Jackson. Without Mr. Jackson, I don't know what I would be doing. Yeah. So can you speak to, you know, being a black boy and getting like a full academic scholarship? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, the community poured into me. 
And so it was myself and a few of my, uh, you know, my classmates, my high school classmates. We all got full rides to uh, the University of Missouri, Columbia, um, to Mizzou. Uh, and I will say, though, that and so in education, we talk about this thing called the opportunity myth. And it is research that suggests that many black and brown and other individuals from low income communities um, do everything that the teachers, their families tell them to do as it relates to ed education. However, when we get to post-education, we run into a brick wall. And that is because we have been underprepared academically. And so when mm. you're underprepared academically, then it starts to get into the psyche. And so I experienced that. Even though I had well-meaning, loving educators all throughout my career, I didn't necessarily get the rigor that other individuals had. And so when I got to Mizzou, I ran into a lot of um, challenges. And so I was able to graduate with Mizzou, not with the highest GPA, but I was able to graduate. But basically what happened, man, is uh, as part of uh, my fraternity's uh, community service project that we did, I had a chance to tutor four black boys. And so I tutored four black boys for a semester. Absolutely nice. changed my life. And Whoa. so I finished my engineering degree up. Went right to grad school in education, uh, became, became a math teacher. And then one day I was teaching math, man. And uh, I think I was doing maybe like the Pythagorean theorem or the quadratic formula or something. And a kid was like, Mr. B, tell me the truth, man. We're going to ever use this. And, you know, as educators, we try to come up with all of these smart things. I said, <laughs> no, 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 you will not use the Pythagorean theorem, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. I've never used that in my life. I'm exactly. saying that. I knew it in school, but never. I've exactly. never used that. Never. And, but, <laughs> but that was such a pivotal turning point in my life because I said, hmm, okay, I could spend my time teaching something that they may or may not use, mm. or I could get in leadership and I can change the game. And so mm -hmm. immediately I registered for grad school to be an administrator. Uh, and that's my that's when my administrator career took off. I want to go back to something you said. Um, I experienced the same thing when I got to college. Um, I I struggled. Um, I was I was accepted, but I struggled. Um, I had to you know take a couple courses a couple times, right? I had to I had to get it right because I didn't have the the academic rigor. I wasn't necessarily prepared. And I'm working on you know transitioning that that's part of my my doctoral process now transitioning i'm doing from middle school to, to high school i was originally thinking about doing from high school to college but i just found more information middle to high school but you also said something that i wanted to touch on when you when you tutored those four black boys you said it changed your life absolutely that's the interesting part like like i think we all get how how people pouring into us can change our lives we can we used to be getting nauseam about there there's a thousand books Yep. You said you pouring into others changed your life. Oh, absolutely. So can you speak to now that like after you went to graduate school and you're an education leader, how that's benefiting you, how that's filling your cup by pouring into others? Oh, yeah. So so even in this work now, uh, I am a full time uh, executive leadership coach. Uh, that's part of the work that I do anyway. That's probably maybe like 60 percent of my work. And part of that is serving black and brown leaders. And so I'm I'm a trained uh, international certified a federation 
International Coaching Federation Certified Executive Leadership Coach. And so I get a chance to coach 25 of the most brilliant black and brown leaders across the country. Uh, and I also coach white leaders as well, but it is still my opportunity to serve and to pour into people and to help people figure things out and to be uh, their best selves and to reach their full potential. But what that, but what that experience did with the black boys was it helped me realize my superpower and my gift. Most people never really know what their superpower is. And my superpower is service and teaching. I will always be a teacher. That's who I am to the core. I mean, I still teach graduate courses to this day. So that's who I am. Yeah. You're teaching us on this podcast episode. I really appreciate. So so that's really awesome. And so you went from engineering yep. to, to teaching. Then yep. you said, you know what? I can make a larger impact because I want to change education. And that's what that's, I mean, it's essentially you're blazing a path for me because I, though I was in history, numbers, just not my thing. I was in the math class. Like, no, I'm going to teach something else. <laughs> I'm going to teach with these words, not, yeah, these, yeah. not these numbers. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. And, and now it was like leadership because even though teachers are the one that um, like they have the day-to-day -day impact on the student. It's really the administrators and how education is. They're the ones that sort of dictate what the teachers can and cannot teach in the classroom, et cetera. So I'm in the same boat um, trying to finish, going to finish, not trying, going to finish uh, my doctorate so I can try to change education. I want to go in the curriculum realm. But since then, so you you went and you, you got your advanced degree in educational administration, and yep. then you went on to get your doctorate. Where'd you get your doctorate from? So I also got my doctorate from Mizzou as well. Uh, and, my, and my dissertation was around uh, the intersectionality of uh, hip hop culture, what it, black masculinity and the schooling experiences of boys of color. And so it was something that I was extremely passionate about. You'll see this through line about black men uh, in, in my work, um, but, but I was passionate about the topic and it made the dissertation writing process much easier because it okay. was something that I was extremely uh, passionate about. And I knew that there was a lack of research in that area. So I wanted to fill a fill a gap in the research space. I appreciate you saying, uh, we're going to go off on a small tangent here. I love rap music and oh, yeah. you said hip hop culture. See, people don't understand the hip hop is not the music. Hip hop is the culture. Absolutely. The music right. of the hip hop culture is called rap. They think exactly. the music itself is hip hop. No, that is rap. The culture is hip hop. See, but we don't, that's a whole, we can do a whole different podcast episode on that one. Uh, but, but that's, that's cool. So you went to Mizzou and you, you finish and you have a book and I want to definitely get to talking about your book. It's called King, a four part leadership framework for black men. Did you write that while you were getting your doctorate after you were getting your doctorate? How does that come about? So I used to be the youngest in almost every space I was in starting out. Okay. I was one of the youngest to graduate in my high school from, uh, from, you know, in my class, uh, I was always one of those kind of accelerated kids and adults. I was a principal at 30 years old. And, uh, and so I'm in my, I'm in my early fifties now. And so I walked into a space maybe three or four years ago, of black men and I realized, okay, now you are unk. You're actually the old head. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and yeah. so once I realized I was unk, um, it just happened that when I was 
when I, and so I, I get, got invited to a social event. And when I walked in the space again, I realized that, dude, I'm the old head now. I'm not the young dude. And so mm -hmm. it really was a different shock to the system. But then when I was on my way home, I got this message from this dude named Nas. And it was called One Mic. All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. And so yes, I just kept saying to myself, like, okay, so if I had one mic, if I had one opportunity to say something to the world, what mm -hmm. would I say specifically to yeah. black men? What would I say? And that's really how the book came about. It was really, I had like four or five guys in my head as if I was writing it directly to them. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, a couple of things to what to what you said there. I, I think it's amazing that you were writing like two black men. You had an audience in mind. I think that's really awesome. You're taking your passion and you're trying to help other people. Uh, I think that's I think that's great. What you're what you're doing is great work. And I'll be honest, I'll be a little vulnerable here. A lot of what you're saying, I'm like, that's me. So, for example, I was the youngest person in my graduating class because mama put me in school a year early. Exactly. Right? Like, like it's just exactly. it, she, she literally did. She put me in school a year early. Absolutely. So I'm I'm the youngest of all my friends. It's just yep. it's just so um, in my doctoral program right now, I'm the youngest person in my cohort. Like it's just it just keeps it just keeps happening that way. So I'm like, man, this this guy is blazing the trail. So I'm definitely going to be pinging you for some advice and Absolutely. things. And you've already given me some advice on that. So the book itself, um, a, a four part. Uh, leadership framework for black men is this leadership in education leadership in life what do you what can expound a little bit more so people can you know get a little bit more information about the book and then i'll tell them where to find it and yep. i'll definitely be getting my copy and checking it out yep so so what i like to say is that it is actually agnostic to profession doesn't matter if you are um uh, a brother who is doing construction work a brother who is a PhD, doesn't matter if you are a teenager or if you are a senior citizen. And to be very honest, it really doesn't matter if you are male or female. Um, oh, because the strategies are transferable. I've had a number of women that have purchased the book and read the book and it resonates with them. Um, but it really is grounded in four strategies. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, as educators, we like to use acronyms. We like to make letters and make them. So K is know the king within. So this thing about self-awareness, emotional intelligence, know thyself, that is first. I is inspire others to collect for collective impact, meaning how do we um, uh, influence, coach, motivate, inspire others so they can, what I say, slash the tires of white supremacy. N is navigate to the North. And so how do you make sure that you lead with a, a sense of values, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of mission? Uh, mm -hmm. And then G is gravitate to the great slash gravitate to the gangsters. So how do you surround yourself by people who can challenge, motivate, push? And the notion there is iron sharpens iron. And so that's really what the book is about. And just this last piece. And so I tried to design the book so you don't necessarily have to read it from cover to cover and you could uh, develop a personalized path. So, for example, for every chapter, I have reflection questions, things that you can think about. I also have what I call king moves, very specific actions that you can take if you want to know how to gravitate to the great, if you want to know how to know the king within. I also have a couple quotes that people can reflect on. Uh, um, and then I, 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 I uh, call what I have, I have what I call the illustrative scenario. And that's basically me telling a story that connects to that particular strategy. So there are really four parts to each chapter, and there are different ways that you can jump into the book and gain something from it.
I think it's awesome. Yeah. So like you said, K, know the king within. I, inspire greatness in others for a collective impact. N, navigate to the north. And G, gravitate to the great. You said something earlier um, about, you know, don't accept just great. You need to be exceptional. Um, I like to say don't accept good when great is available. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we should we should be pushing something in your book. Um, you in the in the know the king within you spoke on something that I think we miss in education um, as a whole. And that is we don't do anything with emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence is, is a skill. We talked about skills earlier. That skill is going to take you further than a lot of the it's going to take you further than the Pythagorean theorem. So we should, it really is. It's just, it just is. So it's going to take you further than knowing who the 16th president of the United States is your emotional intelligence. So I think as we reform and reframe education, we probably need to look at the emotional intelligence space as something that we should be integrating inside of all curriculum in education. So you, so, so you have your book. Did you want to say anything to to what I just said? Yeah. I will say though, that we know that the pendulum is swinging and so we do know that there's this deep focus now in schools on, you know, wellness, um, mm-hmm. social, uh, uh, SEL, social emotional yes. learning, yes. Uh, and, and student facing and adult facing. Because yes. as there's a book that says, if you don't feed the children, they will eat the teachers or something like that. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So, so, so we have to make sure that we feed everybody. And yes. so uh, this emotional intelligence piece is crucial. EQ is greater than IQ. I say it all the time. I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. So you also are, are a part, and I want to talk about this, and I want to learn more about it, the NIA Education Group. Can you tell me what that is, uh, what that's about, how people can find it and support that group? Yeah. So NIA Education Group is uh, a company that I founded a couple of years ago, ago. And our goal is to help great leaders become their greatest personal and professional selves. Just that simple. And we do it in a couple of different ways. We do it in leadership capacity building, whether that is instructional leadership, whether that is more systems leadership, whether that is personal or inter and intrapersonal leadership. Uh, And we do that through uh, teaching workshops, executive coaching, um, human resource work. So it is a full service organization. And our and our goal is to uh, just change the world. It's just really that simple. Uh, you can find that at niaeducationgroup.org. Yep. Again, that's niaeducationgroup.org. I know uh, that's a shout out to your daughter uh, with the NIA. With the NIA education. Well, not really, though. Not really. Not, not really. really. Okay. Yeah. So, so my daughter is named after a concept, which is okay. perfect. So, so Nia is the key Swahili word for purpose. And so, yeah. And so my organization organization is a purpose driven organization. She just happens to have the name Nia because I wanted to know that she has a purpose in life bigger than she can even imagine. And so uh, it's not named after her necessarily. It's named after the concept of uh, the key Swahili concept of Nia. Okay, so so I stand corrected. All right, but that's good though. No, I think it's great uh, um, that that you you purpose that. And let's get into purpose because yeah, I, you know we we shouldn't just do things. We should. Everybody has a purpose, and we say like when we were kids coming up. You know, I'm um, a couple years younger than you. I mean, you did that on purpose, like it was a bad thing. But right. I think we should be doing everything on purpose. So you speak should. to speak to. I, I know you said that you're a teacher, you're an educator, you you serve. But teach, I mean, speak to helping people 
become their greatest self. A part of that is helping them find their purpose and live out their purpose. Speak to the importance of purpose and one finding their own purpose so they can be their greatest selves. Oh, absolutely. If so, so in the coaching world, we talk about cognitive, uh, we talk about dissonance and resonance. And so if you are not living out your purpose, if you don't even know your purpose, if you're not even driving towards your purpose, then mm -hmm. it's very likely that your life will be lived for the most part in dissonance. That is confusion, lack of clarity, uh, not being fulfilled, as opposed to living your life in resonance, where you're in your spot, in your zone, uh, where you do things that are aligned to who you are, your strengths and your superpowers. And in, in the coaching work, we try to move people towards understanding purpose, living in our purpose. But really, we focus on this thing we call fulfillment. Ooh. What does it mean to be fulfilled? What does it yes. mean to actually be a fulfilled person and to live that life? And so it's super important. But I think the other part that you alluded to as well, it, it has to be strategic. It has to be mm -hmm. very thoughtful. It has to be planned, loosely planned. I'm a person of faith. So it has to be loosely planned in the sense that we might plan, but the most high might say, hey, you think you're making this right, but I'm actually going to have you make a left. And yep. so I think we have to have a loose plan, but also from my perspective, understand that the most high may flip the script on us. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you in faith. Uh, I believe everybody is purpose. We don't create our own purpose. Um, God gives us the purpose and then, you know, we, we live it out. You know the saying, man plans, God laughs. Like, hey, I, I got this. I got this over here. And me finding my purpose has helped me be a happier and more fulfilled in my best self as well. Purpose doesn't always mean you're going to like what you're doing. There's going to be some roughness there. Uh, there's there's going to be some roughness to it. I'm in education. Education sometimes is not very nice to me. Put it that way. There's some there's some roughness there. There's a lot of and I definitely want to speak to this and this will be more personal to me. And you'll you'll sort of you know, give me some coaching as we, as we go through this, as we go through this next topic. Um, again, finding your purpose. And when you hit those seems like glass ceilings in your purpose, it doesn't mean that's not your purpose. Your purpose at that point is to stay with it and push through. So you went to, you created your knee education group. You wrote your book so people can be them best, their best selves. You got your doctorate so you can help reform and change education. To me, from my experience, I see that I've worked cor in corporate world and in the education space, mm -hmm. and there's so much nepotism and buddy-buddy shoulder rubbing in education, probably more so than in business. So can you speak to how you were able to break those barriers as a, as a Black man? Um, can you give advice to me? As a black man who is bumping against those barriers a lot, seeing people all the time get promoted with less education, less experience than me, how do you navigate the nepotism, which you would think it should be a meritocracy, but it's not. How do you navigate the nepotism of educational process? Yeah, I would say one thing is that it really is criminal in the sense that uh, many times in education, we don't make the best decisions for the people that we are being paid to serve. Yes. Yes. We are paid to serve students. And in many cases for us, we are paid to serve the most vulnerable students. There it is. There it is. And so to exercise nepotism 
to select individuals who may not be the best to serve our community and our kids is absolutely criminal. That's a good way of putting it. That's that's the first thing. And so the other thing, too, is really uh, building relationships and building allies. And I think mm -hmm. on a more technical level, on a more strategic level, is getting into the right circles. Okay. So for me, part of and so 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 I left the principalship and then I went to work for Teach for America. And people were like, "Ooh, you work for TFA? Or are you going to the other side? You going to the dark side?" But th that's how some people feel about the education reform space. Wow. So okay. I made I made that change, but that it was so strategic because it opened up so many more possibilities and it opened up so many more doors for me to explore. So I think one is, again, when I talk about gravitate to the great in the book, I talk about surrounding yourself with individuals who can help you elevate and get to that next level. The okay. other piece is about being really, really excellent at what you do, because this is what happens to a lot of black men in education. This is the script. Mm -hmm. We get a teaching job. And as soon as we get the teaching job, we're writing grad school. And we're investing so much time either in graduate school or in other spaces where we really don't get a chance to really be great as teachers. And so then we move into the administration space because we weren't as good as, as teachers, then we can't really help teachers. And so then we're next, we're trying to get the doctorate. And so the doctorate takes so much time that we can't even be great at being administrators. And so there are so many times when we never, ever, ever have the opportunity to get great. And there are some times when we actually walk away from the things that are most challenging. I'm one of the very few Black True. men, I'm one of the very few Black men who was a chief academic officer in a district. That means I was in charge of what 2000 kids learned. I was in yes. charge. I was responsible for that. And you don't have that that often where black men elevate to those spaces where they are in charge of the curriculum and the instruction. And that's why I took the job because I did want to be an example for brothers like yourself to be like, oh yeah, I can be a CFO. I can be an HR director. I can be over student services, but I can also be over the teaching and the learning in a school district. So again, you, you like, I, so talk about purpose. I think God purposed this conversation because you, that job, that's the exact job I want. I want to be the curriculum director at a district or a, a charter school system because, because as a teacher for years, I recognize that the curriculum, the what of being taught, the when it's being taught, the transition from one year to the next one school to the next is probably the most important thing. So the, the fact that you are in that space or were in that space, I should say at a time, like that's exactly where I want to go. Like to me that for me right now, and I know that that plans change over time. Like when I first started, I would have never thought that I was going to get a master's and I never thought I was going to get a doctorate. So right now that is the pinnacle for me. I'm like, that is where I want to be. I want to be in curriculum so much so that that's actually what I'm writing my dissertation on strategically. Yeah. I'm writing on curriculum and vertical alignment. So then when I apply for these jobs or I go speak to these people about this, I can say, Hey, I wrote an entire X amount of pages, you know, on curriculum development, vertical alignment, et cetera. So I agree when you say things like, hey, you know, we need to be excellent at our job. I still think the old adage is true. We got to work twice as hard to get half as far. So we have to, and, and you said putting yourself in those spaces, 
and it is criminal that we don't hire the best person. We hire who we like, but yep. this is affecting children. Um, statistics show that only 7% of the teachers, and I'm just doing teachers only, uh-huh. teachers in the United States, um, and, and this, is, this is from 2017, 2018 numbers, only 7% are black and we consider black non-Hispanic. So a lot of black people don't go into education and I want to sort of go back. So you are at the pinnacle of education. You went through, you know, public school system. Then you went to Mizzou. You did all this great stuff. Can you understand and speak to why black men, especially black men, don't go into education as a profession? Because we need black men as teachers because black boys, it is statistically proven. I've written some work on this and done some research. It is statistically proven when a black boy has a black male teacher, that black boy will do better in school academically and behaviorally as a whole. But a lot of black people don't like education or don't go into that as a profession. Can you speak to why, like, or can you hypothesize on why that might be the case? Yeah, I think I think there are a number of reasons. Uh, this is this it, this is such a, a multi-layered conversation. But I think I think there are a number of reasons. I think one, uh, it's not the sexiest profession. It's not as cool to be a teacher for a lot of folks. When people dream about what they want to do, you don't find too many people that dream about being a teacher, right? So <laughs> that's uh, a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's one thing. And then obviously, you know, the pay. Uh, is not necessarily the pay that uh, that other professions uh, get starting out. Uh, but I think there are some other things as well. There are some desires to be edu- for folks to be teachers at times, but this thing with standardized tests is real. And so sometimes Ooh. it's a challenge for us to get over those humps of standardized tests. Mm-hmm. I will say that there are so many efforts around the country to infuse and to, to uh, connect more black men to the education space. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, this time next week, um, there will be thousands of black men, thousands of us, because I'll be there at the black men educator convening in Philly. And one of the whole purposes of this organization is to find ways to continue to connect black males to classrooms, to connect black males to education. And so this is the BMEC conference, conference in Philly. It happens every year. It's deep with us trying to figure this thing out. So we are working towards solutions and we are holding everybody accountable from the community to the state boards of to the state boards of education, to the local boards, to the national uh policy makers. So this is real, man. We understand the need. That that's awesome. I wish I could make that conference uh because I'm a black educator and the sad thing is I've never heard about that conference, but you said it's the BMEC conference. BMEC, B M E C. Yep. Check it out. Okay, and when you perfect, jump yeah. on there, the cool thing is when you jump on, well, anyway, yeah, it's just it's just an awesome experience okay. for black men, an awesome learning experience, an awesome networking opportunity. And we see some of the best practices around the country in terms of getting and retaining black men in education. That's amazing. And I will just speak to the the black experience as a black boy who went through an education system where I didn't have a lot of black teachers. I never had a black administrator. Um, never saw one, right? It just was not in, in the thing. I did have a black dean, um, Mr. Drake, but Mr. Drake's job was just to suspend black kids. That's just yeah. what it was. Like it, like anytime you got in trouble, you just saw, you know, you saw Mr. Drake. But I know what happens. I, I speak to a lot of black men and they have such a terrible experience mm-hmm. as a student 
that they say, I will, once I get out, I will never go back. It's almost like a jail sentence, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Once I get out, I ain't going back mm -hmm. because the teachers didn't like me. They didn't understand standardized testing. There's racism in standardized testing. It just That's is so facts. like black people are very educated, but then when we hit the standardized test, we end up scoring lower and it's like, why? It's not that we're not education. They're, they're, the way the questions are written, the way the, the standardized tests is, I'm sorry, the standardized tests are presented, just not good. There's different scholarship on that. That's a different show for a different day. But the black experience is so bad, especially for black boys. Black women, women tend to teach more than men anyway. Mm -hmm. But the 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 experience is so bad for black kids that they have such a bad taste in their mouth that once they're gone, they don't want to go back. But the sad part about it, the missed, the missed opportunity is, you know, the system is bad and you're going to have kids and put them right into the same system that you hated instead of thinking about it, how you can go in and try to change it. So black people, we need more faces. We need more bodies. We need more black bodies in education to help education get better. Because I will say this, anything black people as a whole practice we conquer. I just believe that. I believe that to a, like hundred percent. Think about it. Anything that black people put their focus on, we end up conquering and we end up being the best. So black people, I just, just my PSA, my personal thing, like, Hey, go out there and be, and we, we need more educators. It's sad that I've only had three black teachers in my entire life. Yeah, man. I want to <laughs> double click on something that you said about Mr. Drake. Yes. So Mr. Drake is the archetype of a lot of black males who are in education, in that kind of lower middle management spot. Mm -hmm. So many times as black men, because black men in, in K-12 education, yes. because we have not become the instructional gangsters that we need to be, as teachers, we move into these assistant principal and these dean of student jobs, and we essentially become police officers with a suit. And what happens is we really Ooh. are in so many ways, we become the education overseer. That's the word I was going to use, overseer, yes. That's exactly what we are. And what tends to happen is we get into this to make relationships with black boys, but in schools, we are the most punitive towards the black boys. And so mm -hmm. then the black boys don't have an advocate because you so mean and you come in <laughs> on their heads so hard. And so yes. then what happens is you create these very tenuous relationships with the boys that you love mm -hmm. because you have to be the overseer. Mm -hmm. especially if it's a whole lot of white women because they want blood every time a black kid sneezes and doesn't say, excuse me. And mm -hmm. so, uh, so you become this overseer and then it's very hard for you to be impactful when you want to quote unquote move up. Yes. Because all you've done is been a police officer and you have good relationships with some people, but you don't have the competencies. Yes. And, and when, see, here's the thing. And once they have a good overseer, why would they promote them? They're, you're good. Where they got you. That's what they need. They need that good overseer. That's what you're going to say. And shout out to Mr. Drake. Like he was cool, right? You know, but that was his job. Oh, it's you not, know? there's no indictment on him. That's a systemic yeah. thing. It's yeah. not an individual it's a, thing. Yep, it's, yep. it's not on him at all. Not on him at all. I agree. And and I think you're right. We 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 sell our show self short on the competencies of you know being being greater. We do get stuck in these middle middle management roles and we think, okay, well, I got promoted to this point. I went from teaching to at least I'm a dean or I'm an assistant 
in principle, right? But think about what they're asking you to do. They're asking you to essentially police. That's what it is. I got offered an assistant principal job one time and I didn't take it. And I was like, no. And they and and people were talking like why? And I'm like, essentially, that's what it is. It's just they're they're trying to get the black man to deal with all the behavior of the black kids. Like that's really what it is. And I and I say, like, I understand that you can build some relationships, but every time a kid gets in trouble, they're gonna have to come see me. And that's not what I'm really about. I'm about trying to make education better as a whole. So we started with education as a whole. You gave us an overview of what education is or what it should be and what's the purpose of education. How Okay, so how do you think we can change education to help it be and reach that purpose? You know, where we are now is not where we want to go. What steps can we be making as educators as a whole to make it be the idealistic thing that we believe it should be? So I think there are a couple of things. Um, if we are talking about um, policies and practices we have to be able to impact the system from uh, the legislative, uh, the political aspect to make some changes that way. I think that there are, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, most brilliant ideas have already been thought about. Somebody has already done it. And so I'm saying that to say that there are some schools and some organizations and some systems that do a great job of educating our students, education mm -hmm. for liberation. Yes. Education for agency, education for self-determination, education for awareness, education to be an anti-racist. There are schools and systems that do that well. So why don't we uh, do the research, understand what works, and let's try to duplicate and scale those models. So I think that's oh. the other part. And I think one other thing is that we really have to use um, ways of teaching that work project slash problem-based slash place-based types of things work. When mm -hmm. kids get an opportunity to connect to the world outside of the classroom, then mm -hmm. that works. And mm -hmm. I think the other piece that we really got to hone in on right now is we have to make sure that every black, brown, white, green, purple student can read on grade level by third grade. Wow. Oh, that's so true. We know we know the tracking they do for black kids that can't read at the third grade level. That's how they decide how many prisons they're gonna build in the world. Cause like, yeah, that is insane. So what you're saying is true, the the tracking. And I think you said something that, that I am strong in and what I want to do in curriculum. You said connecting education to the world, not just in schools. What like just it's a simple question. Why aren't high school kids, even middle school kids, doing like internships and on the job training in places, getting that real life education outside of the school building. It, it's almost like school is where your mama used to drop you off at the babysitter or your auntie house over the summer. Cause she had to go to work. Yeah. That's really what school is, right? They, like, like school can be so much more. Yeah. It, it, it has the potential to be these great and amazing things. And as we said earlier, you can't be what well, it's hard. You, you can be, but it's hard to be what you can't see. But all we're doing is putting our kids in these in this building. How about yeah. setting them up with things that they can see outside of the space? You know, taking kids to these computer programs, I mean, these computer companies and, hey, let them intern and learn how to code at the company, right? Absolutely. Then it opens their mind and we, we have a shortage of Black people, men and women, in technology. 
And technology is a space where we need more color in that space. But again, I can go off. It's like I'm a preacher. You know, I'm like, I'm done, but then I'm not done. And I can just keep going. <laughs> so so that's that. Um, Before we wrap up, is there any points that we haven't hit that you think might be good for the audience or selfishly good for me to know about when it comes to education and blackness and the intersection of education and blackness? Well, I will say this. I think there are, you know, just kind of talking about your last point, I think there are a lot of schools now that are doing exactly what you talked about, giving kids those real world kind of internships, uh, those work-based learning experiences, really what they call it. Uh, and so you do see a lot of that uh, starting to change, especially in some of our uh, black and brown schools around the country. So that is a good Amazing. thing. Um, I don't know that I necessarily have anything else. I just feel like uh, we can do this. There it I is. Like it is so important for us as especially as black men to continue to if we're not educators, then this is what I say we should all commit to. I think we should all commit to coaching. And I mean coaching like athletic coaching or like band or music, something that you were good in. Because one of the ways that we make impact with students is by having long-term relationships. There it is. And coaches develop relationships and inspire kids and motivate kids in ways that we can't do necessarily in the classroom. So I do yes. think the importance of a coach is so important. I tell people all the time, a coach is the most important job in the black community. That's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, hyperbolic at the same time. Most black men who've had some type of uh, influential coach, they love them yep. to death. Yep. Yes. Yes. I still have, I coach football, uh, high school football for a couple of years, high school basketball. And my kids see, look at that. My kids, I like, exactly. right, right, right. They still call me coach. Um, exactly. I've taught thousands of kids. I never talk to them. Yep. My kids that I coach, they will they will email me, call me. I had a had a kid who I coach in seventh grade. He is a sophomore in high school now. He emailed me and said, Coach Rev, that's what they call me. You told me something in seventh grade. It stuck with me and I'm living it out now. Absolutely. Uh, like, like from like again. Class, ah, different, yeah, whatever. Coaching matters. I agree with that. Coaching matters 100%. Um, I coach. I still remember my, my coaches. Right? Exactly. It's just, it's, it's a part of it. I think those are the lasting relationships that we can have. Well, Dr. Buchanan, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for um, this. I'm going to take this in personal. Thank you for helping me. Like, like <laughs> this, this conversation, you have blazed the path um, and the fact that you can do it. Um, I know I can. You've been in so many, you, you, you've you worn so many hats that I want to wear um, that I'm going to wear one day. And even in that last piece that you were saying, you you actually wrapped it up full circle and you talked about belief and, you know, having like people believing in like a coach believing in the kid there. And you talked about that's how you got going, because you had people that believed in you and poured into you. And I think ultimately we as black people, we need to believe in our youth. We need to believe in ourselves we do that and we have this self-belief that we are as great as God said we are, we can rise and, and overcome this system that's designed to keep us down. Absolutely. Just one last thing before we go. I just want to just, uh, you know this, but we do have one common, I'll just say homeboy who's changed the world. 
uh, and who exemplifies this excellence, this changing the game, this innovation, this uh, uh, icon, and that is Miles Davis. Yes, yes, yeah. Miles Davis was born in Alton. Miles yes, Davis was born in Alton, and he yes. went to high school and everything in East St. Louis. There it is. And so, there it uh, is. Yes. But he is the pinnacle <laughs> of excellence, of innovation, yes. of changing yes. the game, of not yes. being concerned about the 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 noise. So mm -hmm. he embodies in many ways who we can be. So I yep. just want to mention that, man. I appreciate that. Dr. Ian, before we go, is there are there any uh, things you want to promote besides your book? Again, Absolutely. A King for uh, Four-Part Leadership Framework for Black Men. It is available. I found it on Amazon. I will be ordering my copy very soon. Is there anything else you want to promote or how the people can find you and contact you if they would like? Absolutely. So one thing I want to promote, the book is one thing, but I try to provide a pathway for people to operationalize the strategies that are embedded in the book because every chapter has what I call king moves. And so I've developed a king leadership masterclass, which is a four part uh, workshop series that is designed specifically to uh, give individuals the space and the time and the tools to develop their own king leadership strategy. Um, and so I'm excited about this. I have rolled it out in Kansas City to a couple of cohorts of black men is working extremely well. And so that's one of the things that I'm super excited about because it gives me the opportunity to multiply impact. There it is. And what's that called? So it's called the King Leadership Masterclass. The and uh, that information is also on my website. My website is www.neaeducationgroup.org. I also have another website that has the book information and that's docbuchanan.com, D-O-C, buchanan.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on IG. Okay. Well, I will make sure to have all that information posted in the links, uh, posted in the description. Those will pop up on the lower third. So everybody will be able to get in contact with you. And uh, when you get pinged about your um, King leadership um, for me, just go ahead and accept me. Cause I, I definitely want to get into that because um, I, I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. And there's some vulnerability here. I have great men in my life. Uh, my, my dad passed away, um, but I have great uncles who pour into me um, and and how to be a good man, like how to be, you know, a, a good God fair man, you know, take care of your business. And these are good men, very, very good men, but they're not in the space that I'm in and you're in that space. So I, I as a as a 42 year old man, I need coaching and leadership as I navigate a space where I have no mentors in this space, I have life mentors. I need mentors in a specific space. So I found one, whether you know it or not, I found one. So, so when, when, I, when I start pinging you on that one, uh, just, just please accept, but everybody thanks again for, well, well, I know oh, okay. So, so yeah, I just want to double click on two things that you said real quick, man. Mm -hmm. One of the things is really about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It is so crucial. And that's one of the things I teach in my coaching practice. It is so crucial that we exercise vulnerability as a wellness strategy, but also as a leadership strategy. And I don't mm -hmm. have time to talk about that now, but vulnerability is so important. It is super important. Uh, we were the mass that grins and lies. It hides our face and shields our eyes. Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Jay-Z. I can't let them see him coming down my eyes. So I got to make the song cry. Don't cry. Yes, sir. So real. <laughs> That's one thing is this. But the other thing is I, I coach black men like you on a daily. And these are the conversations that we have. And so I'm okay. glad that you and I had this sacred space today. 
Uh, well, I appreciate it so much. And and I'm see, I'm a supporter, not a fan. So I'm really going to. I'm going to buy your book, and I'm actually on your website now. Um, Thank again, docbuchanan.com. I've clicked on the King Masterclass. And I'm going to get this in the shopping cart. And we're going to see what we can do. So, yeah, man. Knock that book out. <laughs> grab it on Amazon. It's available. I think you'll enjoy it. Yes, I, I yes, I will. Again, everybody, thank you for listening to the Revelations podcast. Please contact me um, at the email address, revelationspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on all the social media networks, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. That's at the, the Revelations podcast. Thank you again. I am because we are. And I'll holler at you guys next time. Peace. 